Good afternoon, everybody. You guys see me around. Um, Sunday mornings, I usher as well, so I've certainly seen many of your faces already. But I um, just want to kind of start out with a little bit of introduction of who I am. And, um, well, it's kind of hard to introduce myself after Jan and how he's saying that our identity is tied to what we do. Because now I'm like, well, I, I'm a Christian, you know. I, uh, but so I'm a teacher as well. Um, I've been teaching for full time now for 10 years. Uh, substitute a little bit, and uh, but I never always wanted to be a teacher. So uh, a little bit of background. One of the first memories I have of ever wanting to do anything was being a, a, a train engineer, a train conductor. I don't know why, but I was, I was really young, and I just remember I thought trains were cool, and I just wanted to be on a train. So uh, that never really came to fruition. But um, flash forward to like my junior, senior year in high school, and I look, I, I look at what I was involved in. I, I, I was in art, I was in band, I was good with math and sciences, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I you know, um, you know, thought about like some kind of career, maybe with the army band. Um, did not like the idea of kind of going off to basic training, and that was kind of scary to me. Um, but art, you know, I was good at it. I liked to draw. But, like, what kind of career can you really have with art without, you know, starving? Um, but, um, you know, I like cars as well, but I didn't really want to be just a mechanic. Uh, I thought about going to design cars, but I didn't really want to move away to Michigan, where most of that really takes place, and, well, so I went to Bible college. Uh, our pastor um, at the church I was going to at the time, uh, and I can't disagree with him, he said, give God at least one year of your life and see what happens. So um, me and a couple other people from my church, uh, some of you guys know uh, Josh Roba, he was one of them. Uh, we just, after high school, we went down um, to a really small Bible school. It wasn't even like a, a really accredited college, but it was um, based out of a church. Um, and we spent a year there. And, you know, I didn't feel called into the ministry per se, but I, I learned, I grew, grew very much through their teachings. Definitely not a waste of time. But I still had to decide what I wanted to do, and I finally settled on auto body because it's cars and it's art. Um, you know, you're, you're sculpting when you're um, finishing the bondo, you're painting and stuff. So that kind of checked the most boxes. So I got into auto body for a while and realized that that wasn't exactly it either. Um, it was, it's a good skill to know. But it wasn't for me to make a living with. Um, I couldn't see myself spending uh, the next 30 years in the shop and killing my body. And um, not to mention the pay wasn't that great. Uh, the situation was, um, it was 
you know, a flat rate. So if you get paid, you get, you only get paid when you get a job. And if the uh, business is slow, then you don't get a paycheck. So I'm like, you know, what else, what else can I do? And I, I thought about it. I really thought hard and I thought back to high school and one of my favorite classes in high school was physics. And I just, I loved it. I loved the problem solving aspect of it. I remember actually taking a quiz about a train, ironically enough, um, and just sitting there and just going through the formulas and doing the calculations and coming up with an answer that made sense. And I thought to myself, this is fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Uh, But I don't know whatever it was, but, but... I mean, I had a good teacher as well, so there's a lot of hands-on stuff, and uh, I don't know. So that that passion kind of got reignited. What can I do with physics? It's fun. Um, also, at the time, I was teaching junior church at the church I was going to, so I was uh, dealing with kids and kind of helping them learn as well. So it just led to teaching, and so that's where I've landed up. And it's kind of interesting because... When you ask somebody, what do you want to be when you grow up? You get various answers. Uh, Let's see. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, some of you guys, I don't think Mike here has grown up yet. But uh, even still, I'm the... Middle presenter, I represent the middle-aged. And, you know, am I doing what I really want to do? I don't know. I don't know yet. But it's really interesting because you ask a bunch of kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they usually aspire to be something notable, something that is uh, renowned. Like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. Then you get those kids who are like, I just want to be rich. You know, or I just want to play games all of my life, play video games. All right. But then there's some people that are a little more easygoing, all right? Like, I don't really have a, a, like, a goal. I, you know, I'll just go where it takes me, where life takes me. You know, maybe I'll end up working in a factory for, you know, 30, 40 years and retire. And um, they don't really have a set goal or something that they're aspiring to be. They're just kind of like a tumbleweed blowing in the wind, But it's good to set goals, isn't it? It's good to to say, hey, I want to be a teacher. So I quit my job. I worked for three, three and a half years saving up money. And I went and I pursued that dream and I went after it. But, you know, how many times have you guys set a goal and said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. When we look at that... And we see what, what life we want. Maybe we do want to be rich. Maybe we do have these weird goals. And you're going to go after that. And by God's grace, some of you have accomplished those goals. But when you ask people, maybe out on the street, um, outside of the church maybe, say, you know, what's your life? What are you doing? How have you gotten to where you are? A lot of them say, you know, I built my life with my own two hands. Um, I carved this out 
I strove, I, I pulled myself up from my own bootstraps, which doesn't make sense in physics, but. Um, so yeah, it's Newton's laws. But like we, is, is it bad? Is it so bad really to, to build a life with your own two hands? No. Is it, is it bad to have goals to aspire to? No. But there's a, a fine line that I want to get, you know, get into, and this is our first lie, is that I am the master of my own destiny. A lot of you guys have, from different testimonies, have grown up in the church, and we learn to recognize life as given by God. And circumstances are divine, if you will. But a lot of people will look at it and they're like, no, I am the master of my own destiny. I created my life. Uh, you talk to probably some of the richest people in the world and you say, how did you get here? What did you do? Well, I did this. I did this. I did this. And like, I don't know, Bill Gates comes to mind, all right? The, uh, the computer genius, essentially. And, you know, what, what he did was great. And, and you ask him probably, and, you know, I don't think he's a saved person. But, you know, he worked in his garage. He came up with this. He did this. Uh, you know, he built his company. And he is, essentially, Microsoft. Um, was that his destiny? Is that what he wanted to become? Well, first of all, what is destiny anyway? When we look at it, you know, yeah, I could be the master of my own destiny. Well, what does that mean? What do, what do you mean destiny? Well, I can become whoever I want to be, right? But it's more than that. Destiny, um, some of the synonyms, when I looked it up, were fate, um, lot, or your portion. What portion in life were you given? Or this is my lot in life. Or it's just fate that this happens to me. All right, so that's kind of the idea. And Merriam-Webster says it's a predetermined course of events often held to be an irresistible power or agency. So, yeah, I am the master of my own destiny. What that means is totally different. When you take it to the logical extreme, right? I'm not saying that everybody takes it to the extreme, but logically thought out, at the end, what it says is that you are in control of the outcomes. You know, you have your set path, you have everything planned out. If I do this, this, this is going to happen, and it'll benefit me, it'll set me on the right path. If I get this job here, if I make this connection, this network, all right, I can move up the ladder, I can be successful, I can do all this. It's you who choose who you want to be, which isn't all that bad, right? But again, remember, most people that you talk to are going to be thinking about who they are apart from Christ. It's you choosing um, what to do. And there's nothing wrong with choosing a job. Uh, and there's nothing really wrong with choosing how you do it. But oftentimes, 
when people get wrapped up in fulfilling their own destiny and mastering, if you will, their own destiny, they do it by using other people. Oftentimes, it's, you know, your motivation is for your own success, independent of, I, I like the way it's set up here. It's independent of or in the face of others' ideas or expectations for you. So, boiled down, mastering your own destiny, saying, this is what I am going to become, is like saying, nobody has control over me. I am my own authority. I am my own highest authority. It's kind of scary when you think about that, um, because who do you answer to? couple examples I want to, uh, lighthearted examples. What about the teenager at home, right? The teenager who is getting restless and wants to leave the house. They are tired of their parents' rules, right? They, maybe their friends have a little bit more freedom than they do. And, you know, they just can't wait to get out. Why? Because nobody can tell them what to do, All right? Once I move out of this house, nobody's going to tell me what I have to do. Well, you'll find out that you have to do stuff, <laughs> right? Um, personal example, my kids. Uh, the oldest is 10 right now, and youngest is four. But they all like ice cream, and they can't wait till they're an adult so they can have ice cream whenever they want. And nobody's going to tell them otherwise. And we encourage that. We say, that's right, when you're an adult, you can do that because that's what we do when they go to bed, right? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, yeah, boiled down, you don't want to be under anyone's authority. You want to control. That's exactly, exactly what it is. You want control of your own destiny. Uh, let's see what the scripture has to say about that. I'll just read a couple of verses here. Um, all my verses are going to be up here. Uh, feel free to look at them in your own Bible. But just so you know, you are going to be burning the pages of your Bible or scrolling on your phone because then we have a lot of scripture that we're going to go through today. That's how I like to do this. Um, why not let God speak through his word, right? Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. What's interesting, uh, that could be in contrast. Um, man could contrast uh, his plans with God's plans. And maybe God says, no, you're not going to go down that road. Uh, or it could mean that God plan, or man plans his way and God allows it. If it's aligned with his will, he makes it happen. So it's an interesting um, way to, to flip or flop. But it can be done, can be interpreted either way. It doesn't say we don't plan. It doesn't say we're not supposed to plan. God gave us minds to reason with. He gave us intellect. He gave us the ability to plan ahead so that we can make the most of our time. Don't just be that tumbleweed, but we do plan. All right. Look at the next verse. 
Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. This is one of those verses that just, for whatever reason, is burned in my head. We see so many people today that think they're doing the right thing. They, like, oh yeah, it's right. You know, this is, this is, you know, I feel in my heart, this is right. We're going to do it this way. But it's not, is it? It flies in the face of everything that's in the Bible. Uh, we look at culture for two minutes and you'll see a plethora of ideas that just fly in the face of God. But people think it's right. You know, there's a way that seems right. Well, I can do this. It's going to work, right? But the end is death. Um, reminds me of book of Joshua where um, after, after Moses, after Joshua died, the nation of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And we saw where that led. Romans 13.1, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So right there kind of shoots down our idea that we are our own authority. We do have to answer to God. Um, and unfortunately, the authorities that are over us are appointed to us by God. So sometimes uh, we don't think that they're a godly person, but God has a plan. And he uses people, whether they are in the church or out of the church. So why do we, why do we do this? Why do we look? Why do we say, all right, I can do this. I can, um, if I do this, this, this A, B, and C, my end result will be this and it'll be great. It's because we, we have a very limited scope of vision. We can't see the whole picture, right? Oftentimes we look at events as they happen, but in the moment, we don't understand them. Tragedies, blessings, right? Blessings are always good. We always welcome those. But it's a tragedy is oftentimes that we don't know why it had to happen. Given time, not to heal, but given time, if you look back, we can get a glimpse of a slightly bigger picture of what God is actually doing. So in our limited vision, we think we know what's right. And if we do this and this, we don't see the consequences. But God knows, and he's able to direct us in the appropriate way. Let me give you a couple examples from the Bible. First example is King David. This is First uh, Chronicles 28, verses 2 and 3. And I'll read this. King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brother and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. 
Now, David, we know, has a wonderful legacy. He had his errors. He had his problems. But he also experienced great forgiveness and restoration. So think about King David's destiny. He's, he united the, the tribes of Israel. All right? He was the first, and I'll say successful, king of Jerusalem, king of Israel. And he was a man after God's own heart. So why wouldn't it be a good thing to build a temple, a permanent place, instead of a tent, build a permanent temple for the Lord? It's a good thing, right? As part of, David wanted that to be part of his destiny. But God said no. What did David do? Did he build it anyway? No. God told him it's not for you to build but for your son to build it. And David humbly accepted that, that fate, if you will. So what he, he made preparations. He made it easy for his son Solomon to do it, but he didn't do it himself. He humbled his will to God's. Let's look at another example. Job. This is going to be one of my favorite examples. Now, as you guys know, the story of Job, he lost everything except his wife in one day. And very powerful, very influential man. He was very rich. Um, He's also very godly. And in one day, he lost his sons. He lost uh, his wealth. And even some of his health as well. But he didn't know what was happening. He didn't know what was going on behind the, the curtain of heaven. And uh, he just, he called out, you know, he had friends to come visit him that really encouraged him a lot. Uh, in case you're, you're not sure, um, his friends accused him and said, Man, you know, things like this don't happen to, to good people. You know, you, there is definitely unconfessed sin in your life. You better get it right. And Job's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I, there's nothing, nothing wrong. And friend's like, no, you're lying. Um, his wife told him to curse God and die. Uh, like, just, just die already. Like, whoa. Well, that's that's wonderful news from my wife. Um, it's like God. Why couldn't you take her too? You know, uh, but we're not going to go there. The uh, it's just, it just I, I can't imagine the anguish that Job was going through, and he cries out to God, and he kind of he accuses God of essentially wrongdoing because you know, like why, why what have I done? So I love God's answer. It says, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? This is God talking now, remember? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God or can you thunder with a voice like his? 
Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Smack right across Job's face. In the following verses, Job wisely keeps his mouth shut. But really, God says, who are you? Can you do these things? Are you really going to question this? Are you really somebody who can control anything? Um, There's another dissertation that God does about nature. Like, can you explain this? Again, Job can't. Pretty much God is bringing Job down to humble him, to show him just, I don't say how insignificant he is, but how small he is compared to God. So who are we to presume that we can master our own destiny, that we can control our own outcomes. Third example, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4. Um, I don't have everything listed out here. You guys can read that later, but just a couple of excerpts here. So King Nebuchadnezzar was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke. Now, if you remember, um, was it the Temple Gardens of Babylon? I think it was like one of the ancient wonders of the world. Uh, so this is King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the, uh, the king of the most powerful empire, um, at, in the world at that time. Um, very wealthy. I mean, architecture, I, I can just imagine the splendor. I'm, I'm sure it was very, very beautiful and very interesting to see just some of the accomplishments of that era. And King Nebuchadnezzar is walking around. He says, is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Look at me, look at what I did, right? What's the next verse? While the word was still in the king's mouth, Voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Wow. You can continue reading that with that and that story. But he eventually repents. He realizes, yes, there is only one God. And he is control, in control of everything. God answers, who gave you this? Who set this up? Who appointed you? Right? I did. This is my majesty. This is 
my glory. God does not share his glory. He is a jealous God. So here's some truth to go along with that lie. Number one, and this is from the book um, that we were reading, Lies Men Believe. That's why it's in quotes. It says, we have nothing that was not first given to us. Think about that. We came into the world naked, hungry, crying. Nothing has been given to us. And to that end, we're going to go out probably the same way. Nothing in hand. Who are we to claim mastery over anything? That first, you know, we didn't build anything. It's by God's grace that we are who and what and where we are in life. Everybody's here, you hear this a lot of times in, in church sometimes, and it's, you know, and it's true that nobody's here by accident. It is by God's grace that you are here today, this hour, hearing this message, and it's for you. Right? We are destined for greatness in the kingdom of God. Right? So there's nothing wrong with, being, with destiny. Right? We are, each and every one of us, we have a purpose within the kingdom of God. We are destined for greatness if we submit our will and line it up with his. So we accept what is given to us with humility and generosity, recognizing it as a gift with purpose. So when God gifts you with abilities, with um, money, with power, it's not to make you better. It's to bring him glory, right? That's what that means to um, first be humble about it. Don't get a puffed up head and be generous, all right? To accept a gift generously, I think kind of means that you're not holding on to it tight, all right? You don't shove it in your pocket or put it in a safe somewhere. God gave it to you to use for his kingdom to bless others. That's the truth that we have. So when I, you know, when we talk about the destiny and, and you know, trying to make our own destiny, what I want to do is like, what's, what's the underlying reason for that? Why do we do that? Why do I want to be up here? And why do I want to carve out this destiny? And quite simply, there's one simple sin that is behind that. And that's the sin of pride. You look at Job. He said, I'm blameless. All right? Why, why is this always happening to me? I am blameless. King Nebuchadnezzar, I built this. I did it. It's me. Um, humanism. Look at our culture. All right. it's, it's pretty much the, uh, the exalting of the self, right? Um, you know, in education, it's Maslow's, I don't know, I think it's Maslow's pyramid of needs. And 
hierarchy of needs. And it's just, you know, I never really considered it until I studied it, how humanistic that is, you know, to reach a full potential. What is that? Well, that's for me to be the best that I can be, really. And that's not pride. Now, pride, um, the Bible has a couple things to say about pride. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I'm sure you've used that. And I have seen that, you know. Yeah, I'm proud. I can do this. Um, (laughs) uh, Some of you basketball fans, uh, King James, right? Does he have a little bit of pride, you think? All right. But yet, if you see him, you're going to see him fail probably. Put him up against Jordan. You know, Um, I love that one quote. uh, Jordan was asked, if he could beat the Lakers, him and his 1990s Arab team could beat the Lakers, and by how much? And he said, yeah, probably about, about two or three points. And the interviewer was, was like, why just why so few points? It's like, well, you know, the Bulls, you know, we're, we're all in our 60s now. So, and I, I you know, I kind of agree with him, but pride comes before fall. We've heard that many, many times. And yes, that is in the Bible. Uh, Isaiah 45, 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? This one is, is pretty profound. How many times have those of you who have kids have argued with you because they think they know better than you. It's like, who are you? I made you. No, you know, but that's the idea we get with God. It's like, God, I know better. I know what I'm doing here. I, 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 I. And God said, I made you from the dust of the earth. Who are you to tell me? Kind of goes back to the Job, you know, that slap across the face. But that's probably one of my favorite verses there. Um, So, yes, what is pride? Is it okay to take pride in your work? Sure. All right. There's, I looked it up again in the dictionary, and there are several definitions of pride. One is a group of lions. Uh, nothing sinful about that. The other uh, definitions is, you know, just to, to kind of, I don't know how else to say, but to take pride in your work, to do your best. All right. So, you know, I, I tell my students a lot of times, you may not like this assignment. You may not like this project, but do your best at it anyway. And for them to take pride in something, they're going to put more effort in. They're going to take the time. They're going to build. They're going to do better than somebody who doesn't care. 
But that's not the pride that we're talking about here. That's not, I don't think, as is, a sinful type of pride. Because we are supposed to do everything to the glory of God, right? But the pride that we have to be aware of is the kind that where we think we are better than who we really are, or that we are better than others. And I like this definition, it's an overinflated self-esteem. Boy, we have some of that going around our culture now. But it's an overrated, overinflated self-esteem. And this is hated by God. Proverbs 16.5, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's a strong word, man. An abomination. That's like worse that you could ever be. Uh, Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Mm. So yeah. Pride, just like any other sin, is pretty serious. All right. So I I want to take just a minute um, and talk about sin. I want to talk about the series of sin, of pride, and of other, pretty much any other sin. Romans 5.12, this is where it all starts. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. That's talking about Adam. Adam and Eve, way back in the garden, the very first people in perfect environment. Utopia. And you, even in all the external circumstances were perfect, they still failed. But yet somehow that's what humanity strives for is some kind of utopia thinking that's going to solve everything. It's not because we have that sin inside of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. You sin you die. Okay? All sin leads to temporal, earthly, and eternal destruction. How many of you know of somebody who's been destroyed by sin who's still on this earth? I think we all do. We can probably name a few. All right. How many people maybe got away with their sin and, and maybe even died a peaceful life? So we think. All right. But after this life, there's the judgment, isn't there? God does take sin of pride seriously. But then you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not that extreme. Um, you know, I'm not flying in the face of God like Job was. I'm not shaking my fist. I'm not carving out my destiny. I'm not ignoring God completely. I'm actually trying to do good. I'm actually trying to, to do things right. I mean, I'm trying my best, right? Line number two, if I mean well, that's good enough. You ever trust, you ever have somebody 
And again, my stage in life, I'm thinking about my kids. You ever have somebody try to do something and they mean well, but they just make a mess? Doing what you think is right in a way that is against God's will is still sin. Let me say that again. Doing what you think is right in a way that is against the will of God or against his instructions is still sin. Most blatant example comes from 2 Samuel 6, 2 through 7. It says, And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubims. So David, the ark, he wants to bring it back to Jerusalem. Great. That's a very good cause. Excellent cause. So he set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. My wife and I had a discussion. It could be Abinadab, but we're not sure. We weren't there when they pronounced his name. Uh, It was on a hill. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now what David wanted was good. There's no argument against that. All right, modern times, modern methods, right? Let's get a cart, we'll um, put, it, put it in, and we'll carry it down. In case you ever have to carry it, don't get a cart, okay? It looks good. Yeah, it'll work. But that's not the prescribed way to do it. Right? The artist, ark is to be borne by people over poles on their shoulders, right? And carried. Now, this is way more sufficient, way more uh, stable. And this is how God prescribed. Do I have to understand why? No, not really. Again, that comes to my limited vision. I don't know why this is how he prescribed to do it, but it's done this way. Well, Okay, so, so I, I mean well, and sometimes that's wrong, but, you know, well, you know, maybe you're not as bad as other people. So you see, as we, as we look at sin, and we look at the severity of sin, and that destruction is its end, we all of a sudden backpedal and say, well, we start making excuses. We think, well, you know, I mean well. That's got to count for something, right? And, uh, well, if it's not how God told you to do it, then that's wrong. And you can also say to yourself, well, 
sin, yeah, I'm not as bad as that person over there, right? I'm not, I'm not a murderer. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He knows what's in your heart. And what is in your heart? Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Next time somebody, you hear somebody say, just follow your heart, stop them. Say, no, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So yeah, God knows your heart. God knows your deepest motives. Here's some truth. Don't go against that lie. If I mean well, that's good enough. There are only there are holy reasons for the rules. All right, God's glory and our blessings. If we follow his way, he'll bless us. All right, and that, that's the fact. Um, we may see people, I mean, David in the Psalms cried out, says, why do the wicked prosper? Right? It seemed like this wasn't true. But God reassured him, he's like, It may seem like they're prospering, but in the end is their destruction. Maybe life may not be too easy here on earth. You might get laughed at. Here in the States, so far, persecution doesn't go much beyond being ostracized or kicked out, being unaccepted, being made fun of. Not too many people are getting beat up. Not too many people are actually physically persecuted. And I say that yet because I don't know what's going to happen. But there are still blessings to be had for doing things God's way. Second truth, God knows what is best for us more than we do. Again, that goes to our limited vision. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. God does. We tell kids, don't touch the stove when it's hot. Why? And they burn. Also for our protection. Joy, peace, happiness, contentment come from the obedience and the being in God's will. You ever see somebody who seems like their life is rough, a Christian, but they have just that peace, that joy that they shouldn't have. Because under, under the circumstances, looks rough. But yet they don't live under the circumstances, do they? They have that joy. They have that peace and happiness. 
that doesn't seem possible. And they have a contentment with where they are and who they serve. It's just we fight back. We don't want to do it. We don't understand. We don't see the whole picture. So we think, yes, we need to do this. We need to do this, Lord. I want to do it this way. This seems right, Lord. God's like, no, no, it's not. Don't do it. David, I want to build a temple, Lord. I, I, I have plans. I have ideas. I want to do it. God's like, no, don't do it. It's not for you to do. Thankfully, he didn't go ahead and build it anyway, right? And then there are times where we just, we just don't want to do it. All right, God has a plan for us, but we just don't want to do it. Nope, I don't want to do it. Students in my class, you know, you give them an assignment. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm too tired to do that. I'll just let you know. How much is this worth? Because I really don't want to do it. And if it's not worth a lot of points, I'm not going to do it. Right? We just sometimes don't want to do it. That's why we kick back sometimes. So. Leads me to my third lie that a lot of people buy into. And it's just the fact that, you know what, my sins aren't that bad. No, I don't, I don't shake my fist at God. I don't um, defy his will. I, I try my best. You know, God knows my heart. I'm, I really want to help. I'm not that bad. Yeah, okay. I sin a little bit. It's not bad. Well, the trouble with that and the trouble with pride uh, thinking that you're the best. Again, King James comes to mind. Uh, LeBron thinks he's pretty good. Trouble is there's always somebody better than you and there's always somebody worse than you. They may not be in the limelight. They may not be famous. But there is somebody who's always you can compare yourself to. You want to make yourself feel good? Won't be too hard to find somebody who's worse off than you or not as good as you. Want to make yourself feel bad? I'm sure you can find somebody who's better at something. Right? So that's the trouble with comparing, is it's all relative. Even the terms hot and cold. Now, yesterday was a nice day, right? I don't know, it reached about 50 degrees or something like that. It was warm. Take that same day, plant it, in the middle of July, when we have 50 for a high, what do you say? It's cold. Same temperature, but relative. First Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Who said that? Paul. The great Paul, the Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, who many Christians today just revere and are in awe of the grasp of the gospel. What did he say? He's a chief sinner. Right? Was he comparing himself to somebody else? 
Was he comparing himself to Ananias? No. No. See, here's the thing. In our little minds, we have categories. We have separations. And we say, all right, I have big sins. And I have little sins. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an extortionist. I'm not an abuser. I'm not a thief. I don't habitually lie. I'm not an adulterer. Those are big sins. Big sins have big consequences, right? Little sins, white lies, an outburst of anger, saying the wrong things to your spouse in a heated argument, lustful thoughts, cheating. Cheating just doesn't happen in schools, does it? Um, I put this up there because in schools today, the, the culture is so accepting towards cheating. Now, obviously, as teachers, we try to discourage that. We try to quell it. We say, no, you're not supposed to cheat. But obviously, technology has made it more difficult to stop. But the idea of cheating is, well, so what? There is very little conviction as to the wrongness of cheating. And that conviction can, that lack of conviction carries on to a workplace. And that continues on throughout their lives. Yes, that is being dishonest. Remember the, the weights that they were used in the temple, the false weights how they are an abomination to God. That's cheating. Truth is, sin is just sin. It doesn't matter. It's all on the same playing field. White lie or murder. Both have the same consequence, which is death. James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole lot and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. We've all told a lie. I'm sure going back, maybe not now, when you're younger, I'm sure there was a time where you've, you've crossed that line, where you said something that wasn't entirely true. It was a partial truth. But a partial truth is a whole lie, isn't it? You're being deceitful in telling that. Comparing yourself to Christ is the only comparison that you should be making. That's why Paul was able to say, I am the chief of sinners. Why? Not because he couldn't find anyone that was worse than him but because he saw himself in the light of Jesus Christ who lived the sinless life of God who was perfect, incarnate in Jesus Christ. It says, Isaiah 6, 1, 5, near that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. Sounds pretty humbling, right? 
Because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is Isaiah talking. This was a dream that he had. And whenever we are met, if you look in the Bible, whenever someone meets or sees a vision of either angels, um, they are afraid. Um, If they're like John in, in, in heaven, Um, for revelation, whenever they see a holy God, all of a sudden, they are met with the realization that they are unworthy because of their sin. They may not be big sinners. Isaiah was a prophet. He was called by God to be the mouthpiece to Israel. And yet, even he says, I'm unworthy. That's the only comparison that we need to make. So yeah, maybe you're not too bad to somebody else. But maybe somebody else is using you to make themselves look better. Compare yourself to God. That's the only comparison that matters. Well, that kind of leads me to my next one. All right. So we've established that we're sinners. I know that, you know, yeah, okay, I I sin a little bit, all right? But it doesn't really affect anybody, right? Um, Line number four. I can hide my secret sin since it only hurts me. This one's a double barrel lie. Let's look at the first part. No sin is secret. God is omnipotent and omniscient. Omnipotent meaning he knows or he is everywhere, omnipresent. Uh, Omniscient, um, he's, let's see if I can get those right. Omniscient, he knows everything. Uh, Omnipotent, he knows, he just knows everything. He's everywhere. Psalm 139, 7 and 8, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Whenever you're a kid, you, you, you want something, you know, you, you wait. You wait to, till nobody's looking and then you, you do whatever that is you're doing. You think, I, you know, nobody saw me do it. God sees every time. Um, Eventually, your sins will be exposed. Numbers 32, 23. Take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sins will find you out. This is one of the scariest verses because a lot of people will try to hide their sin. It's a, their, their sin is kept secret and it doesn't, doesn't work out. I'm gonna come back and visit that idea. Your sin does affect others, all right? Now, as men, we've been told, you know, we're like waffles. We compartmentalize our life. We're able to to separate certain areas of our life so it doesn't affect. What I do at work is what I do at work. What I am at home, that does not interfere. And we're pretty good at that. We're pretty good at separating, building walls within our lives to, to keep things from meshing together. Trouble is, sin doesn't stay in one spot. The example I want to give is porn. 
Of the secret sins, I would have to say this, in my opinion, is probably one of the most prevalent. With the onset of technology, and I've, I've done studies, uh, I've taught um, topics on this with the internet safety and, and things with my students. With the onset of technology, it's so easy to access and to hide this sin. But, I mean, the, you hear stories of people who have gotten caught in this, uh, in the criminal acts of porn, and they, you know, they've been involved with it for sometimes decades, and nobody knew. But here's the problem. There are signs, because what you put into your mind affects how you act and how your personal relationships go. So, what you think is, you know, you're keeping this separate, this secret sin separate. It's really affecting your relationship with your wife or your girlfriend or your parents or your children. One example is you're, you know, you'd rather be in front of a computer screen than out spending time with your kids. So what are your kids left with? Kind of a deadbeat dad. All right. And that's just one way. That's just one small example. Truth is, you, you might be able to hide it temporarily, right? but ultimately there's failure. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Amen to that. So what are we to believe? Just covered a couple of different lies. First thing I want you guys to realize is that God is serious about sin and not just little sins and big sins. They're all sins. Sin does drive a wedge between God and me, you and your relationship with Christ. The more you partake in it, Right? The farther you feel from God. It's not God who left you, but you who left God. It messes our relationship with other people. It ruins marriages. Families get broken up, split up. Sin is destructive, no matter what. Don't believe what the devil says, that how sweet it is, because there is pleasure in sin for a season, is there not? But again, the end is death. If we are saved and we continue in our sin, do we give God the glory? No, we give him a bad reputation. We become those people that the world looks at and says, I don't want to be that. I don't. He says he's a Christian, but he does this and that. You know, The world knows when things don't line up. If we are not saved, if we have not put our faith and trust in Christ, that's what condemns us to death, eternal death. But again, I just want to go over this real quick. God made a way, did he not? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, which I quoted before, but I left out the last half of this verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And again, Jan mentioned this already. It says, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God made a way. Romans 10, 9, 10, 13. If there anybody here who has not yet accepted Christ as their Savior, now, now is the time. Romans 10, 9, 10, 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This, this is the gospel. This is what it's all about. Simple as that. God is serious about sin, but he made a way for us to have fellowship with him. Second thing that I want you to walk away with is that God has a destiny for each one of you. He has a very fulfilling plan for your life if we submit to his will. How many people have fought against the will of God who finally submitted and realized how sweet it is and that they wish they would have started earlier? 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Hey, I want to be exalted, right? Nothing wrong with being exalted, but God does it. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Is he going to give you whatever you want? Or is he going to change your heart so what you want is right? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. We have our talents, our God-given talents. We have our abilities. Is God going to give us a destiny that denies those things? No, because he gave us those to fulfill his purpose. A lot of people are scared to turn their life over to God because, well, what if he, he calls me to do something I don't want to do? Chances are, he's going to call you into something that you're going to enjoy. So now what? You can either double down, take hold, pursue that destiny, that you think is right? You say, I don't know if what I just heard is, is true. But you're going to keep pushing forward no matter who or what gets in the way. Or ask forgiveness for Christ. Ask for his will to be done in your life. Submit to him. See where he takes you.
just see how he will exalt you. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time, this opportunity. And I thank you for the men here. And I just pray. that they would just open their hearts to you. May your will be done in their lives. And Lord, I'm excited to see the greatness that comes out of this church. Amen. Thank you.